This is the Daily Signal podcast for Tuesday, November 9th. I'm Virginia Allen. And I'm Doug Blair. Diversity officers are slowly corrupting K-12 education by bringing diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives into school and teaching children divisive topics like critical race theory. A new report from Heritage Foundation's senior research fellow Jay Green highlights how harmful these diversity officers and the initiatives they bring to school are. Worse than just indoctrinating children, these diversity, equity, and inclusion proposals are contributing to a widening achievement gap between advantaged and disadvantaged students. Green joins the show to discuss these diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives and how they negatively impact disadvantaged students. But before we get to Doug's conversation with Jay Green, let's hit our top news stories of the day. The Biden administration is encouraging schools to promote the COVID-19 vaccine for children. On Monday, Health and Human Services Secretary Javier Becerra and Education Secretary Miguel Cordona sent a letter to school principals and superintendents asking them to actively support the vaccination of children. They wrote in the letter, Today, we reach out to you with encouragement for you to actively support the vaccination process for children in your state, territories, county, tribes, communities, and schools. The Biden administration is asking schools to host vaccine clinic sites on their campuses and distribute literature to parents about vaccine efficacy. First Lady Jill Biden and Surgeon General Vivek Murthy are also working to get more children vaccinated. They visited a school in McLean, Virginia, a suburb of Washington, D.C., on Monday to kick off the administration's nationwide effort to get kids ages 5 to 11 vaccinated. Even the classic Sesame Street character Big Bird weighed in on Twitter Monday, writing, I got the COVID-19 vaccine today. My wing is feeling a little sore, but it'll give my body an extra protective boost that keeps me and others healthy. President Biden's approval ratings are in bad shape, according to a USA Today Suffolk University poll taken last week. The poll showed a 38% approval and 59% disapproval rating for the president, a gap of 21%. Additionally, 46% of respondents indicated that Biden has done a worse job than they expected, while 64% would prefer he not run for re-election in 2024. Vice President Kamala Harris doesn't fare much better in her approval ratings. Harris has an approval rating of 29% and a disapproval rating of 51%, a 22% gap. The poll also found that congressional Democrats are at a disadvantage going into the 2022 midterm elections. Republicans had a 46 to 38% advantage on a generic congressional ballot. Another poll from CNN indicated the majority of Americans, 58%, believe Biden isn't paying enough attention to the biggest issues facing the nation. The CNN poll also showed 36% of respondents strongly disapprove of Biden's handling of the presidency. The poll results come on the heels of a Democrat loss in Virginia, where Republican Glenn Youngkin defeated Democrat Terry McAuliffe and a narrow victory in New Jersey. Both elections were originally considered to be favorable to Democrats. America is now open to travelers from Europe, Canada, and Mexico, providing they are fully vaccinated against COVID-19. Europeans are also required to show a negative COVID-19 test that must be completed within 72 hours of departure for America. 
Airlines are responsible for enforcing the vaccine and testing rules and could be fined as much as $35,000 per violation. Insurance company State Farm is sticking by football player Aaron Rodgers over accusations he lied about his COVID vaccination status after he contracted the virus. NFL rules require players to be vaccinated in order to play. But during a segment on the Pat McAfee show last Friday, Rodgers revealed that he had COVID and that he was unvaccinated. In a statement to USA Today made through a spokeswoman on Monday, the company said, Aaron Rodgers has been a great ambassador for our company for much of the past decade. We don't support some of the statements that he has made, but we respect his right to his own personal point of view. Our mission at State Farm is to support safer, stronger communities. To that end, we encourage vaccinations, but respect everyone's right to make a choice based on their personal circumstances. Rodgers' confession prompted criticism. While State Farm has maintained its relationship with the Packers quarterback, Wisconsin-based Previa Health severed ties with Rodgers on Saturday. Additionally, former Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback and Fox NFL commentator Terry Bradshaw expressed his anger with Rodgers, saying, We are a divided nation politically. We are a divided nation on COVID-19, whether or not to take the vaccine. And unfortunately, we've got players that pretty much think only about themselves. And I'm extremely disappointed in the actions of Aaron Rodgers. Rodgers faces possible fines and a suspension. Now stay tuned for my conversation with Heritage Foundation Senior Research Fellow Jay Green as we discuss how harmful diversity officers are in K-12 education. The Heritage Foundation has a new website to combat critical race theory. CRT, as it's known, makes race the centerpiece of all aspects of American life. It categorizes individuals into groups of oppressors and victims. The idea is infiltrating everything from our politics and education to the workplace and even our military. Heritage has pulled together the resources that you need to identify CRT in your community and the ways to fight it. We also have a legislation tracker so you can see what's happening in your state. Visit heritage.org slash CRT to learn more. Our guest today is Jay Green, Senior Research Fellow at the Heritage Foundation's Center for Education Policy. Jay, thank you so much for joining the show today. It's good to be here with you. Excellent. Jay, you recently wrote a report for the Heritage Foundation titled Equity Elementary, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, Staff in Public Schools that was highlighting the rise of so-called chief diversity officers in K-12 through schools throughout the country. First off, before we kind of get into the meat of this report, what are some of the things that these officers do? What What is the stated purpose of these officers? So for most uh, public school districts that have a chief diversity officer, they uh, say that their main responsibility is to help uh, close achievement gaps. So there have been longstanding differences in average test score performance between students in more advantaged groups and in more disadvantaged groups. And, um, and districts are interested in finding ways to close those gaps, ideally by bringing up the students who have been lagging. Now, you said between advantage groups and disadvantage groups. How are we defining advantage and disadvantage? So the way, the way that districts typically define this is in, on racial ethnic lines. So uh, they would refer to white students as advantaged and black or Hispanic students as disadvantaged. But they're also interested in the difference between poor and non-poor or, or lower income students. And do these definitions change based on where the location is? So like something in New Mexico might be different than 
New York or, or Texas? You know, it's remarkably not varied across the country. Um, uh, no matter where they are and what their context actually looks like, they still uh, are focused on on very similar set of problems. Interesting. Okay, so. How widespread then are these diversity officers in the country? Is this something that most school districts have? Is it sort of like a, a localized cluster? How do we how do we define sort of like how frequently we see these things? Right. So we that was precisely the question that motivated this research project. Uh, we knew that in higher education, diversity staff are virtually universal. Almost mm. every university in the country has at least some uh, diversity staff. Um, uh, but we were noticing that this was making its way into K-12 public school districts as well, and we wanted to find out how extensive it was. So we looked at every school district in the country with at least 15,000 students. There are 554 of them, mm-hmm. and uh, we searched their websites looking for chief diversity officers or the equivalent of that. Uh, they could go by different titles, but but the equivalent of a chief diversity officer. And if they had it, we recorded Um, the title of that person, and we recorded that there was such a person in that district. And we found that the number was actually higher than we thought. Among those 554 districts with at least 15,000 students, we found that 39% have a chief diversity officer. Among the larger districts with more than 100,000 students, it's 79%. So the big districts Almost all have them. Mm. Um, But even down when you look at districts close to 15,000 students, Mm -hmm. it's still 32 percent have a chief diversity officer. So it's 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 making its way eventually to every corner of the education space. Now, when I hear a chief diversity officer, I almost think there's sort of like a hierarchy of diversity officials. Is this basically just one person or is this like a whole infrastructure of diversity uh, people at these K through 12 schools? So that varies um, uh, in higher education. So in our prior report, uh, which is Diversity University, uh, we looked at at 65 um, uh, universities that are members of one of the Power Five athletic conferences. Mm. Um, And then we counted how many diversity staff members they had. We found that the average institution had 45 Mm. diversity staff members. Um, That is not the number that you would find in K-12 public schools. The number is quite quite smaller. Mm. Um, But in large districts, you, you can have several um, and in, in and in many of the districts, there's only one such person. So that's why we were not focused on how many there were, but just whether they had uh, a person with that kind of responsibility. Now, in the report, you mentioned that one of the key takeaways is that these diversity officers are advancing what you say is a leftist agenda. Can you define for our listeners how a leftist agenda is is being promoted here? So first, we were interested in looking at actually whether they had an educational mission. Ostensibly, they have uh, their primary uh, goal is to close achievement gaps. And so we looked at whether having a chief diversity officer was associated with closing achievement gaps. We found that was not the case. In Mm -hmm. fact, um, school districts with chief diversity officers have wider achievement gaps Uh, that are growing wider over time. And this is true even when we control statistically for a number of observed characteristics of those districts. And so um, if 
uh, these chief diversity officers are not advancing their educational purpose of closing achievement gaps, what are they really there for? What are they really doing? And uh, we believe what they're really doing is articulating and enforcing an ideological orthodoxy. That is, they're defining what are appropriate and inappropriate thoughts mm. um, to be conveyed in school. And that helps provide political organization to really a minority set of activists within school districts who are eager to promote their agenda and they get strength from, from a chief diversity officer advocating on their behalf. So it sounds like what you're saying is a lot of these chief diversity officers come in and say, we have a problem with like racism or something like that and one sort of the leftist orthodoxy here, we're going to do these things to fix it. But the achievement gap itself is not closing. It's even – it's getting wider as a result of some of these policies. Right. Uh, many of their ideas may actually be harmful to minority student achievement, um, which is perhaps why the gaps are growing larger. Um, but yes, they – they um, focus quite a lot on on bringing in trainings mm. um, that communicate particular visions of the good for those districts to promote. And they tend to include um, um, ideas that are really antithetical to traditional liberal d democratic ideals. Mm -hmm. So traditional democratic liberal ideas um, include the idea that everyone is equal and should be treated equally. Um, and instead, I think one of the central ideas that is being advanced by chief diversity officers is that people um, belong in different groups, uh, the oppressor group or the oppressed group, and that your treatment should be different depending upon which group you're placed in. Mm -hmm. The oppressors sh should be given um, um, less generous treatment than those in the oppressed group. And then there's a, a scramble for which groups of people should be placed in these oppressor or oppressed groups. And all of this is very, very contrary to traditional American values about people being equal under the law. Now, look, America has has fallen short of its ideals, but we have been clear about what we're striving for um, and we've made great progress towards achieving that kind of political equality. This really pushes us in a different direction by switching the goal. Mm -hmm. uh, instead of striving to have people be treated the same, mm -hmm. we're striving to have people be treated differently because they deserve different treatment is the argument. Given that this is, seems to be the, the program here is that we're going to institute uh, – initiatives that are based explicitly on race or based explicitly on oppressor versus oppressed classes. What are some of the programs that are being pushed by these diversity officers? Are we talking like trainings by Ibram X. Kendi or, I mean, Robin D'Angelo hasn't been relevant for a little bit, but like sort of that sort of thing? Exactly. Or? So they're bringing in um, uh, training uh, um, uh, consultants as well as materials um, that are um, uh, either use uh, people like Ibram Kendi or use his ideas or are informed by his ideas. And these this might be a set of ideas that we might call critical race theory. Mm. But it gets slippery once we start using these terms because people endlessly change what they claim those terms encompass. And so I, I don't know if we have to use those terms. But I'll, I'll just mention sure. critical race theory is included in, in what these uh, chief diversity officers promote just because our listeners here probably would recognize that term. 
Um, but the the diversity staff themselves might deny that that's what they're doing. Nonetheless, it's the ideas that that folks would recognize as as critical race theory. One of the things that the Heritage Foundation has actually done to document some of these cases of K through twelve. Uh, public schools in introducing these chief diversity officers into the system is we've created a new database uh, that allows them to track which school districts have these officers. Uh, what are some of the things that you believe people could be doing with this resource? Right. So the data visualization people here at Heritage have made this really cool website and, and people should check it out. Um, you can find it on, on the heritage.org website and it allows you to look up any of these 554 school districts, and it'll show you if they have a chief diversity officer or not. It'll provide you with the title of that chief diversity officer. These titles, by the way, are very grandiose. Mm. Um, and I, I find it, um, uh, for people who might want to organize against these positions, um, knowing the exact title and knowing kind of how pompous those titles often sound <laughs> um, uh, can be helpful. Um, and then also we provide um, data on the achievement gap in each of those districts between white and black students, white and Hispanic students, and poor and non-poor students. And we also compare those achievement gaps to the average nationwide for districts with a chief diversity officer versus those without. So you could see how each of those districts stack up. Um, and what you'll find on average is that the districts with a chief diversity officer have larger gaps uh, than the districts without. Um, and you could find out the exact gap for your own district by, mm. by using this website. Now, by achievement gap, are we defining this in terms of academic capabilities, like the ability to read or to do math? What, what are we defining as the, the gap here? Sure. The gaps are a performance on standardized tests in reading and math. Uh, these are administered universally in grades three through eight. Um, so th it's that kind of information that, that we're looking at. Th this is actually the test score data that we're presenting has actually been compiled by researchers at Stanford. Mm. So we, we didn't collect that ourselves. We're using already collected data on, on achievement gaps. Um, and the gaps, by the way, are presented in grade levels. Oh, okay. So this is – so it's easy to understand this is how many grade levels apart the average white student is from the average black student in that district. That average, by the way, is, is almost two grade levels. So we're saying like maybe if a, a black student was supposed to be at a fourth grade reading level, they might be at a second grade reading level that's compared right. to a white student. Wow. Right. Um, that's pretty stark. Right. They might be in third grade. And the white student might be a little ahead in fourth and the, the black student might be a little behind in second grade. And that on average, what we're talking about is, is something close to a two grade level gap. Interesting. So but it's bigger. Yeah. <laughs> it could be two and a half grade levels apart right. uh, when we're talking about districts with chief diversity officers. OK. So you, as you were saying, the, the chief diversity officer sort of exacerbates that problem as to – Well, I mean it's associated with a larger gap. Now, we don't know – there's some possibility that mm -hmm. that districts with um, more serious gaps seek out a chief diversity officer and that the causal arrow goes in the other direction. And we can't fully disentangle that, um, but we were starting to address that that 
um, that that knot mm. um, by first looking at trends in the gap over time. And we see the trends are getting wider mm. in the districts with the chief diversity officer. And that tells us that the CDO or chief diversity officer is likely counterproductive, but also, and then we control for other characteristics that helps us narrow in on what is causing what. And then we plan on revisiting this mm. annually going forward and we could see where chief diversity officers pop up and we could see the direction of their gaps and how they change over time. Is this something that has been studied previously or is this something that's sort of coming up now as these questions of equity and inclusion and diversity are starting to kind of become more mainstream? As far as I know, no one has compiled the information that we've collected. And that's that was a big part of why we wanted to do it was to make this information widely available and understood that this is a thing, right? Mm-hmm. There, there's such a thing as a chief diversity officer in K-12 schools and that they're they're there ostensibly to help close achievement gaps. Now, this is a little bit different than in higher education where – where diversity staff often are about recruiting diverse students or recruiting diverse faculty. That is not the responsibility of CDOs Mm. in K-12 schools because the students they have are assigned to them geographically, right? So they're not recruiting students. And so they're not trying to alter the racial mix of their student population. Mm. That's not their goal. Instead, their goal is to help close the gaps in achievement among the students they do have. I actually want to hammer on that one a little bit more. So in terms of what these officers are doing, it does seem like there is a difference between what a higher education at a college will be doing, you know, recruiting, we need more black students, we need more, you know, Hispanic students, we need more Asian students versus at a lower level of education where, again, like you said, they're determined based on geographic location. Is there any other semblance of kind of like, well, you know, this is a difference here and a difference in lower education versus higher education? Um, Well, so they they also can't do too much um, in the K-12 space at altering their their recruiting of teachers. I mean, they can do a little bit. They're constrained geographically as well. Mm-hmm. Um, most school districts are not recruiting their teachers nationwide. They recruit them mostly locally, um, unlike universities that do recruit faculty nationwide. And so that that is a difference. But a, a commonality is they're both interested in what's called um, culturally responsive education or culturally responsive pedagogy. And um, there's a belief among these diversity staff, both in higher education and in K-12, that students learn better when taught in a certain way or with certain content that speaks to their cultural experience and their racial and ethnic background. So that's maybe saying, I, I guess, would that be like, oh, a black teacher would teach a black student? Or would this say something like, you know, you need to learn about black history if you're black and you need to learn about white history if you're – is that kind of what we're talking about here? Right. So they they have legal constraints and they probably can't um, separate their students um, to be matched racially with, with teachers, although that does actually occur. Oh. And it's something that's called affinity groups where students are separated – in K-12 schools by race um, and receive different experiences based on their racial grouping. Um, 
And uh, this practice has occurred. It has been um, – lawsuits have been filed uh, because it appears likely that this is inappropriate. Um, but those lawsuits have not been resolved yet. Um, but it is nonetheless a common practice to to have affinity groups. But the the um, the pedagogical difference, the culturally responsive pedagogy, is most mostly has to do with content. Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea that we should be teaching more about Black history and teach it in a certain way that, for example, understands the entire history of America to be built on slavery, right? That, that is one of the central features of the 1619 Project, which is a K-12 pedagogy mm. that would be a curriculum that might be advocated by a chief diversity officer. They might be the kind of people who would try to bring that curriculum into a K-12 school system. The 1619 Project is obviously something that the Heritage Foundation has written extensively about. But maybe for our listeners who are looking at their you know, students' curriculum and are looking at what their students are learning, are there any other kind of warning signs or red flags that they should be looking for? So I, I mean, first, I think it's important to be able to see the materials that your children are being taught. Um, school systems have been resistant to this. This mm-hmm. has been a bit of a fight. Uh, so there's a big push for for uh, transparency in uh, curriculum and instructional materials. Um, and it's one of the things that parents have been organizing around lately um, is is pushing for for this transparency, and there have been some legal efforts, uh, some state laws to to force transparency on the mm-hmm. part of schools. And when you look at it, um, you will see if if it's emphasizing um, a, an approach to America where people should be treated differently based on their background as opposed to the same under the law. That's, I think, the the clearest kind of rule of thumb that you might be able to use to recognize whether ideas of critical race theory um, or ideas of the 1619 curriculum are making their way in. It is perfectly appropriate and desirable for students to be taught the full and true history of America, which includes the history of slavery Mm -hmm. and includes the history of discrimination. But that should be taught within the context of how ultimately this is contrary to our ideals and how we've been fighting against those um, uh, those shortcomings uh, in our past and aspiring to be better, right? I mm. think that is the story of America, and it's a good story, um, and and it's the story that I, that I think most people want their children taught. Before we wrap up, I'd like to approach a topic that uh, I thought was very interesting. So you and the American Federation of Teachers President Randy Weingarten recently had a debate on the topic of school choice. Uh, in the post-pandemic world. Um, What did that reveal to you about where the teachers union stand on issues like school choice and, you know, chief diversity officers and this sort of critical pedagogy that we've been talking about? So the teachers unions have gone all in on critical race theory, Mm -hmm. Um, uh, although they're slippery about this. So so occasionally you'll get uh, folks from the unions or their friends saying, well, this isn't even taught in schools, but then turn around and say, it's good if it were taught. Uh, it's not happening and it's good is 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 the basic line there. Um, but, um, you know, just to make it clear, Ibram Kendi was actually brought as a keynote speaker at, mm-hmm. at the recent 
AFT, that's the American Federation of Teachers, the organ teachers union that Randy Weingarten heads. Mm. He was their keynote speaker at a recent conference. Um, so these ideas are quite popular among uh, the leadership of that union. And they've been fighting for uh, these curricula to be adopted. They just present these as teaching history accurately or teaching mm -hmm. uh, the history of slavery, which, of course, no sensible person is against. Uh, what, what I think sensible people are against is being taught a very un-American take on, on these that include violations of our basic values about equal treatment under the law. But as to the debate, I think one of the main things that we're trying to do at Heritage to promote school choice is to communicate to parents that ultimately they should be in control of the education of their own children. Education is an extension of children. It's just part of what we do to raise our children to be the kind of adults we want them to be. Mm. Parents should raise their children. They should also be in control of educating their children. And that's why they need school choice. They need school choice to make sure they have that control so that they and not the teacher's union or, or some ed school professor should decide what their kid is taught because they should decide what, how their kid is raised. They should also be able to decide – that in their own local public schools. And mm -hmm. I think part of what we're seeing in the, this broader parent rebellion um, is it has to do with, um, with this desire to control. And also, this has been driving a huge expansion in school choice. So the last year, we've had the largest expansion in private school choice of any year ever. There have been, in 18 states, 24 new or expanded programs. Mm. And that's been driven largely because the public school system failed to deliver what parents really wanted. They didn't offer in-person uh, instruction like most parents wanted. The unions were very resistant, put a lot of roadblocks in, in the way of in-person instruction. And, they, and when parents could see what their children were being taught remotely – they could see that it was filled with a lot of nonsense, mm. a lot of, of values that they didn't like. And this motivated parents to want to take back control. Mm -hmm. And so there's really a connection here between this work we're doing on diversity and the problem with, with, with promoting bad values in the guise of diversity mm. and the push for school choice. These are connected things because it's choice that allows people to – to regain control over the kinds of values their children are taught. As one final note here, I wanted to ask if your debate with Weingarten gave you any insight on maybe how better conservatives can be delivering this message of both school choice as a positive force and diversity, equity, inclusion initiatives as a negative force. How do we better convey that message to the American public? Well, I, I think what we have to do is begin to organize parents. I mean, that's it's become clear during the pandemic that par parents are a very powerful force here. Um, they can organize in their communities. They can push their local school board to make sure that they can see the, the educational materials that are being used, make sure that those materials are consistent with the values and, 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 um, and preferences that they hold. Um, and, and I think the parents will do the job for us, right? Mm -hmm. Our job is to equip the parents with this information, 
help them organize so that they can be empowered and get the kind of education they want for their own children. And look, all we're doing is saying parents should be in charge of their own kids. And I think that's an idea that is widely popular. And to suggest that some distant union boss ought to be in charge of your kid is a very weird and, and unpopular idea. Good stuff. Well, that was Jay Green, Senior Research Fellow at the Heritage Foundation Center for Education Policy. Jay, it's a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. And that'll do it for today's episode. Thanks so much for listening to the Daily Signal podcast. You can find the Daily Signal podcast on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Please be sure to leave us a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and encourage others to subscribe. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again tomorrow. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is executive produced by Virginia Allen and Kate Trinko. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. For more information, please visit DailySignal.com.